A post-Christian culture is a society in which Christianity is no longer the dominant civil religion. These societies may have been founded on values informed by Christian principles, but gradually have assumed values, culture, and worldviews that are not necessarily Christian. In many of these places, secular humanism has replaced Christian thought to become the predominant worldview. Many sociologists are now recognizing the fact that America may be also moving in this direction. And within a few years, we could be described as a post-Christian nation. Our post-Christian values are already reflected in our media and entertainment, our collective views regarding human sexuality and the sanctity of life, and our pervasive consumerism. How do we live as Christians in a post-Christian culture? And is it possible to live in a society like this and still be faithful to the teachings of Christ? Welcome, everyone, to the Beards and Bible podcast. Um, because we're recording this early in the morning, I feel like an NPR host talking really soft into the microphone just like this. Yeah. And if you're listening on headphones, what is that called? ASMR, where people whisper in your ear and... Yeah. <laughs> My, favorite was... My name is Josh... And this is not an ASMR podcast, but um, what if it was? That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. I like when people like put the makeup on. Have you ever seen the makeup ones? It's like a lady. I've seen my wife. Yeah, my wife does that every now and again. Or she doesn't make them. She watches them. But yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, it's specifically. I don't watch them, clearly. <laughs> specifically the ASMR ones where she's like, she's like narrating what she's doing. And she's like, I just need a little bit of more highlights in my eyes. <laughs> I just want to know, um, my, my buddy Caleb, he might be listening to this right now. Hi, Caleb. Thanks for, thanks for listening. My buddy Caleb one time sent me an ASMR YouTube video as a joke. And it was just some old dude in suspenders. He was reading the newspaper. And he was like turning mm. the pages of the newspaper and like, ooh, hmm. Look at there. There's a coupon for roast beef. Hmm. And then like, like the crumpled newspaper or whatever. So I'm reading it. I'm watching it as he sends it to me. And I'm like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Well, it's so weird, in fact, that my covenant eyes gets flagged and it gets sent to all my accountability partners because my covenant eyes is like, man, this is probably, this is so weird. It's probably porn. And uh, so my yeah. covenant eyes partners reach out to me and they're like, um, this doesn't look like it's anything bad, but man, you sure do watch some weird stuff. So mm. there's a there's apparently a market out there for old guys reading the newspaper on a microphone, making really weird noises on a mic. So if this whole beards and bubble podcast thing ever doesn't work out for us, that's what we can go to. Well, isn't that so. kind of like summarize the entire podcast of just old guys <laughs> making weird noises in a microphone? <laughs> isn't that just podcasting Trying to form. in general? Yeah. 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 Well, Gabe, how you doing, man? So how? Good, good. How I was gonna about to ask, how was your Fourth of July festivities? Oh, festivities. It was 
festivitas were were good. We uh, my brother came up and we launched fireworks and went swimming and got way too hot and uh, grilled out and it's pretty much it. Nothing nothing uh, super special, but we had a great time. How about you? Yeah, good. Um, yeah, we went we went swimming as well on a lake and uh, went to went to a fireworks show in. Headland, Alabama. That was cool. Mm. Just like sat on the back of a pickup truck and the tailgate of a pickup truck and watched fireworks in Southern Alabama. I felt like, wow. Tired. And then it, you have, you have three tries to pick what song was playing on the PA system over the whole parking lot as the, uh, <laughs> as the finale was erupting three tries. <laughs> I'm proud to be an American. By who? The Lee Greenwood. You got it. The first try, you got That's it. Yeah. The first try. Yeah, how'd I know that? Yeah. Yeah. So Man. yeah, it felt very I don't know. Yeah, we like That's a know. very uh there's certain <clears throat> songs for the July I have to listen to. We were driving back from my in laws uh Monday night and it, it was fireworks all around. Like as you're driving, you know, there's everybody's launching mm-hmm. fireworks. And um the kids were Saying, let's listen to music. I said, no, no, we're only listening to three songs tonight. We're listening to This Land is Your Land. And the Avid Brothers do a really good cover of that song. It's great. Mm-hmm. We're going to listen to America the Beautiful by Ray Charles. His version of it is the best. And then is our that finale. The one that Sandlot? Yes. Yeah. That's exactly why I like yeah. it. Because, you know, like you're driving and you see all the fireworks and it just, yeah. And then um, yeah. Proud to be American by Lee Greenwood. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're not American and you're listening to this podcast, um, the 4th of July is our Independence Day. And for a lot of Americans, we don't really, to our shame, um, Independence Day for us is, is very much just about hanging out, eating, and blowing stuff up. Which mm-hmm. I would say that's to our shame because we we should be like thanking God for the freedoms we have, and we should be remembering like the unique identity we have as Americans. But um, I read something somewhere this year that said patriotism is at an all time low in the U.S., especially mm-hmm. on for the Fourth of July. Like um, <laughs> media outlets that would traditionally read the Declaration of Independence um, just didn't this year. So like speaking of NPR. They typically read the Declaration of Independence on air. They didn't do that this year. It was like the first time they hadn't hmm. done that in 30 years or something. Um, wow. We're living in really weird, uncharted times as Americans. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with Roe v. Wade being overturned, which we talked about this in a couple of podcasts ago. We were talking about how Roe v. Wade was probably going to get overturned, and then it did. And um, in the states that Gabe and I live in, abortion is effectively uh, illegal, right? That's, that's the case in Alabama? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, as, like, Bible-believing Christians who are pro-life, I'll just say, like, I'm praising God for that. Um, but I think what it's exposed is the divisions in the U.S. between those who hold to a Christian worldview and those who don't, those lines have gotten more distinct. Would you say that's fair? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I thought about it the other day. It occurred to me, it's like in Alabama, it is a criminal offense to have an abortion. And in some states, I can't, it may be the case in Alabama. I need to look it up. But in, in some case, in some states, you can be charged with murder for, which I think is, is just, mm-hmm. I think that's justified. That's, that's, right. that's just to be charged with the murder. If you willingly go in and have an abortion. Um, but to think about, uh, so th- that, that severe of a crime can be, can be placed on you and you can be charged with that in one state and then to cross a state line and it be completely illegal. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's bizarre, right? Like, Oh yeah. You have yeah. this activity is murder. This activity is like not murder and actually will help you do this activity. I don't mm-hmm. know what the future holds for a nation that is that's turned upside down morally and divided on what is ethical and unethical in terms of like taking human life. Um, right. That's bizarre right. when you think about it like that. Well, I think the last time we were here, and I know this, has, this comparison has been drawn a lot, but I really think it's a fair comparison. Last time we were here was really the uh, Civil War, you know, with the owning mm-hmm. of slaves. You know, so, um, you know, I reached out to Gabe earlier this week and just said, hey, what if we just talked on our podcast about this idea of living in a post-Christian culture as Christians? Um, Because I think it's become abundantly clear in the past few weeks that the majority of stakeholders in... um, Media, the majority of stakeholders in the public um, in the public sector, I think that hold the power to as as to what um, shapes the voices we hear. They don't share our Christian values. Um, I watched on um, you know a major news network how the pundits were talking about Roe v. Wade being overturned, and they they were talking about it like it was you know like the first amendment was overturned or something. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Um, hmm. and there was no representation of people who were actually saying, no, this is a just equitable thing. I mean, it was very much villainizing anyone who supported it as being anti-woman villainizing anybody who supported it as being, um, <laughs> anti LGBTQ, which I, I didn't understand that one. I'm like, wait a second. That doesn't even make yeah. sense. Uh, but it kind of seems like anything that opposes it is wrapped up in this giant group of people who are being painted as bigoted, tolerant, intolerant, and antiquated, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. opposed to progress is how they're being. Right. Yeah. So um, I think right now, more than ever before, we need to figure out what it means to still live out our Christian faith, even if it gets um, increasingly more difficult, and even if we encounter opposition culturally. So um, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, how to live as a Christian in a culture that is post-Christian. So when we say post-Christian, Gabe, what does that, what does that mean to you, post-Christian? Well, just... Just a, a people group and a nation, a culture that is is losing its desire and collective uh, effort to live according to biblical values and according to biblical worldview. Um, it's hmm. it's it once I would say majority of its uh, 
populace was at one point, you know, being governed by the laws of the Bible, maybe even maybe indirectly, but um, they were at least they were at least being steered and directed by moral injunctions found in the Bible. And and now it's it's like um, turning into, you know, the source of morality really is just the state at this point. Um, right. And the state the state is the, the determining factor in what is right, what is wrong. And that's that that's terrifying, but also it's just sobering. We need to be, like you said, equipped and ready and at least thinking it through what that looks like for us in the long term. Yeah. And and this is this is this describes, I would say, many countries in Europe right now. You know, at one mm-hmm. point, the shaping influence for morality was the church, um, albeit, you know, a state church or a, um, a very corporate um, bureaucratic church influence. But it was the church that kind of shaped what was moral. But I would say most um, most people in certain European countries that have kind of moved past that now, like you said, their version of morality is the state. It's not the church anymore. It's not biblical values or biblical principles or, you know, the law of God. Um, and so <clears throat> many sociologists will describe many places of Europe as being post-Christian for that reason. Um, so, and, and I think that we, um, <clears throat> we've got to be ready and prepared for this because I think a lot of Christians still think that we're in a culture war and that we're going to win. Right. <laughs> that we're going to turn the ship around and America is going to be a Christian nation. Um, and I just don't know if that's the case. Like I, 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 and, and then maybe I'm wrong, but like, I, I just feel like, um, this may be a really exciting opportunity for us to stop, uh, to, to stop letting, um, Christianity get diluted to where it's an inch deep and it's a mile wide. And for us to actually own it and um, live it out when it costs us something. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I don't know if I said that well, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, it would certainly be a refining of, of the church of Christianity um, that that will be a, a healthy byproduct of this. Um, yeah. You know, it would be like a refiner's fire, I think, if the, if culture is going one way and the Bible tells it's adherence to go the other. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. So Gabe has five pieces of, I will say pastoral guidance that he's going to share about how to live as a Christian, a post Christian culture. And I have five pieces of guidance and we're just going to, we're going to go swapsies. We're going to go back and forth and he shares one and I share one and, and, uh, we'll just, uh, kind of go from there. Sound good. Yeah. Yeah, it does sound good. And just disclaimer, uh, I'm no, I'm not in my studio this morning as we're recording this because we had family <laughs> coming to town and, oh. um, some things need to get removed out of our basement in order to house said family. And of course, where do those things get stored in my studio? So, mm. uh, my studio, it's, it's just jam packed with, with random pieces of furniture and sterilite tubs. So I'm up here in, um, in what we call our, our school room. And uh, behind me are, are two rodents um, that are... That wait, are, wait uh, you said rodents? Yeah, we have two guinea pigs in here in a cage on the floor. And they're like... <laughs> they're, uh, they're brothers, so they're like they're chirping away at each other. And they're like, every now and then they'll fight mm. or whatever. So if you hear, if you hear guinea pigs squeaking... You, you can't get away from brothers fighting anywhere you go. You got your own boys and then you got no. your guinea pigs. So, yeah. Um, yeah and my so. disclaimer is 
I'm in my home office this morning, and um, my kids at any point could burst in um, and ask me for something like a snack or something like that. So if that happens, yeah. just uh, yeah, let the let the listener and viewer beware. So I get tell us how to live as a Christian. Yeah, just like the good old days. Tell, tell us right. how to live as a Christian in a post-Christian culture. All right, here's my number one. First and foremost, I think you need to be too legit to quit. You got to be. You got to be the real thing. <laughs> um, you can't mm-hmm. just be a follower of Christ in name only. You have to be in action and in every way your life consumed by that. Um, I, I'm a verse that I'm going to pull to support this is First Peter two twelve. Uh, beloved, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh, flesh, which war against your soul, conduct yourselves with such honor among the pagans that though they slander you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So you got to be hmm. legit. You got to be the real thing. Absolutely. I just preached on first Peter two this past week. Thanks. Yeah, and I think that's a. I think that is such a sobering, and it puts the ball back in our court when we get ag- angry that you know, oh my gosh, culture's going post Christian. Okay, well, you don't have to go post Christian, right? Yeah, like yeah. It, the responsibility well, is yours and mine to make sure that okay, even if culture's doing that, well, make sure you don't. You you are responsible for how you live your life and. Making sure that you're following yeah. Jesus, even if culture isn't. And the nine remaining pieces of advice we give you, if you do them, but you're not consistent in your own testimony, I'm not saying you're, you're flawless, but if you're not consistent and you, you only are doing this for the label or the bumper sticker or whatever, uh, then the remaining nine that we're about to go through are completely worthless and you might as well just ignore them. So your testimony has to match with the, the words that you're speaking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great number one, just in general. Make sure that it's real. Make sure it's legit to you. Um, my number one is similar to that. And I said, determine that God's word must be the absolute authority and must have mm-hmm. the final say in shaping our worldview. So... I think the average American Christian is being discipled by media far more than they are by scripture and um, consumption of media. I think for most people, unfortunately has a far greater influence on how we think and talk and act than the scripture. So if you just look at the statistics, the average American Christian or not spends two hours, and three minutes a day on social media and three hours a day watching TV and only around 11% of, of uh, Americans have ever read the Bible all the way through, which is crazy because 9 mm. out of 10 American households own a Bible. Um, <laughs> it's crazy to, when you actually start looking into surveys where people are asked, how much do you read the Bible? Most people don't read it that often, even if they own it, and they say they believe in it, they just don't read it. So... I think because many people will say they're a Christian, but they don't actually read the Bible. They're not being shaped by it. They're not reading it personally. Um, my fear is that many people are holding on to an ideology that is a lot more like Christendom than Christianity. 
So more like certain Christian morals that are divorced from Christian theology. And anytime historically this has happened, I think horrible movements take form where you use the language of Christianity, but in truth you're more devoted to principles and causes and ideologies and cultures that look less like the mission of Christ and church and a lot more like other things. Right. Um, Mm. I think of like the crusades was that, um, the state Lutheran church in Nazi Germany was that, um, I think of Christian nationalism when that's taken off in certain places or even liberation theology where like social Marxism had crept into the Catholic church at a certain point and, so, yeah, yeah, I think we've got to stay in the word. I think we've got to make sure we're not primarily discipled by media. And that's, mm-hmm. a, um, that's a very, very, very sinister and tricky thing that I don't think most people know it's happening when it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, totally right. It's, it's a slow creep. Um, yeah. Um. I'm going to go on to my number two, which is dovetail nicely off of that, which is, I think in order to live in a post-Christian world, we need to be biblically literate. And I'm not saying we need to have all the, not have all the answers, not, not be able to, uh, you know, from, from memory quote an answer to every question that people have. But, um, you know, second Timothy two, which I'm going to pull another verse here, two fifteen. Remind 214, uh, remind the believers of these things, charging them before God to avoid quarreling over words, which succeeds only in leading the listeners to ruin. Make every effort to present yourself approved to God, an unashamed workman who accurately handles the word of truth. So I think um, biblical literacy informs us, like you said, what to believe and how to walk out our faith. Biblical literacy also provides us a defense uh, when we are attacked, when we are ridiculed, when we are uh, canceled because of our faith or whatever, uh, we can lean on that word, lean on his his truth, um, and be able to, you know, show why we are living the way we are living and be able to defend it. Yeah, absolutely. So, what would you say to somebody listening to this podcast that is struggling with this area of Bible reading, like? I don't, I don't think I've ever been a Christian that when you start talking about reading the Bible, they're like, really, that's a good idea. I mean, like every, every Christian knows reading the Bible is a good idea, but like yeah. somebody that's intimidated by it or somebody that has a hard time being consistent with it. Like, what are some tricks or tips that you, you would say can help somebody become biblically literate and be consistent in staying in the word? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people really crave, sometimes they don't realize it. A lot of people really crave depth in teaching and in Bible study. Um, hmm. I would say I would say find a good uh, daily study that will guide you through some really deep, um, uh, you know, some some meatier things. Because a lot of times, and I'm totally guilty of this sometimes, is a lot of times when you when you go to your corporate worship service on Saturday, Sunday, Friday, whatever day you go to corporate worship service, uh, the the pastor is going to sometimes play to the lowest common denominator in terms of like who is there and attending and their level of understanding and biblical literacy. Um, and that's just, that's just natural. Sometimes you don't want to speak over a lot of people's heads. So, um, sometimes it is a case that you get something that isn't as meaty as you would like, um, in those corporate 
worship settings in it and, you know, in, a, in an average sermon or whatever. Um, and you need something a little bit meatier and to really dig into the word. And I would say if your church offers a time of like small groups or, if, you know, some kind of Bible study, like especially thematic Bible studies, people tend to really like, um, mm-hmm. there, you know, there's, there's just, I would check your, your local city, your local church, um, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of them online you can be a part of, um, but pick a theme, pick a topic, pick a question that you have about the Bible, and um, and and find a good place and find a good teacher um, to guide you through some of those topics, some of those themes, and really dig into the Word yeah. that way um, that Absolutely. you might not get you know in your average Sunday morning. Yeah, and I would say as you read through the Bible, I would say you need a reading plan. So um, mm-hmm. I like the Navigator's reading plan. And what it is is... Yeah, I was just about to mention navigators. Yeah, so the one I've used for years, and I've, I've done this, gosh, probably the past seven, eight years, every day is four different readings. So there's one from the Gospels, one from the Epistles, one from um, the Old Testament history books, and then one from the Old Testament wisdom literature. And they're they're short. They're not, I mean, it's probably 15 minutes of Bible reading. But if you if you do it every day, you'll read through the entire Bible in a year. So, hmm. um, so many people get so, so intimidated about reading through the Bible of the year and they start in the beginning, okay, Genesis one, right? <laughs> and then they get to Leviticus or numbers and they fall off. Right. But if you get a good reading plan and I've had it printed out and stuck in my Bible for the past seven, eight years, um, and you just kind of get on this cycle of, of reading it, like, okay, it's July 6th today. This is what I'm reading. Right. Um, man, it, it, it's so amazing how you get shaped and formed and kind of symmetry comes about. You understand the old Testament because you read the new Testament, the new Testament, because you read the old Testament and get a good study Bible. Like, as you're reading it and you come mm-hmm. across an area that you're not like, you're not quite sure what's talking about. The commentary in the bottom of a study Bible will help you understand it as you're reading it. Um, yeah. and I would say too, if, if you aren't that great of a reader <clears throat> and you struggle with reading and paying attention, get an audio Bible. If you go on YouTube or not YouTube, you version, there's certain mm-hmm. translations that will actually read it for you. Um, so if you're on your commute, you can, okay, my Bible reading today is Matthew 6. Okay, find Matthew 6, hit play, stick it on your Bluetooth, and listen to Matthew 6 on your way to work. But um, yeah, just consistency, I would say, is the most important thing with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, consistency. Um, and, and I always tell people, buy a Bible, use a Bible that you're willing and able to write in. I love writing in my Bible and yeah. Yeah, I take a lot of notes in my Bible. Um, I bookmark it, um, you know, things like that. And it's, I, what, I do a lot of like, do you uh, typically I, use? um, someone bought me years ago, a bad translation and I've been using it just as, cause I started <laughs> writing, um, it's David Stern's complete Jewish Bible. And it's like kind of a messianic okay. Jewish kind of translation. Um, but I don't really recommend that. Uh, it's, it's an okay translation, but it's like, uh, I, I really, I really like the NASB or ESV. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I've been using just the because ESV I started for writing. Years. Mm-hmm. But I, I recently, as I'm preaching through First Peter, I'm trying out. I'm test driving the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, yeah, it's a newer yeah. translation. I'm trying it out, but it's it's very good so far. So I'll re- I'll report back cool. on how I like it after I get done with First Peter. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like if you picture a chart, like you want a Bible that is, you know, has the, it's the, the intersection of like readability and accuracy 
in its translation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and that's, that's something that you want. Um, but then something that you're willing to write in, something that you're willing to underline. Um, and then what yeah. I do, I, I kind of play Wikipedia with my Bible and I'll, I'll, um, you know, if there's a certain word, uh, or a certain theme, you know, and I'll, I'll connect if I see that theme, let's say, um, think of one real fast, uh, like Psalm chapter 22, where it says, uh, my God, my God, why, no, I'm sorry, that's, yeah, Psalm 22, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll go to Psalm and I'll write, you know, in whatever verse it is in Matthew, where Jesus is saying that on the cross, you know, and it's like, mm. and I'll connect those and I'll do that in both places. And I'll say, see Psalm 22 yeah. on page, yada, yada. And like, and I'll, I'll do that. Mm. And I'll have all these different little hyperlinks throughout my Bible, where yeah. if I turn there, it takes me to all those different places quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, my number two is learn how to be okay with not being cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so here's why I said that. Like, I think there's a lot of us that were deep down, even though we never admit it, we're living to try to please people to be comfortable or to be accepted by the culture at large. And we're not going to say that out loud, but, but really that's, that's what's in our hearts. Um, and I think if that's in our hearts, then there's going to become a certain issue. There's going to become a certain Christian value or Christian belief that eventually we're going to shrink back and compromise and fear. Um, and you know, in certain parts of the country, it's, it's fear of, um, Threats of bodily harm, imprisonments, even death. I mean, if you're a Christian in certain parts of the world, I mean, that's the fear you live under all the time. But I think in our culture, it's just threats of like social ridicule or people saying mean things about us or us getting Mm -hmm. canceled, you know? And I think some of us are just so stinking terrified of this. Like we just want everybody to like us. We want everybody to see us as you know, kind, virtuous, accepting, tolerant people. But I think we've got to be okay with not being accepted by culture. We've got to be okay with people saying mean and ignorant things about us. Um, but I, I think the, the important distinction is we've got to make sure they're saying that about us because of our commitment to Christ, not us being an abrasive, unkind jerk. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I think, I think we've got to figure right. out... Yeah, keep going. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was just saying, I, I just think we've got to figure out how to not be, you know, not be so thin-skinned and not be so terrified of people not liking us. Yeah. Yeah, I remember in high school I was going through a intense punk rock phase, you know, and I I um would wear things like studded studded bracelets and and belts and mm-hmm. have combat boots on with you know cut off jeans and you know you name it it's just like <laughs> a mohawk you know at one point and it's like you know it's I, I remember going to school and being like surrounded by all these people who would just like why are you what are you doing you know and like it, it was just kind of i got used to being uh odd looking or you got used to being ridiculed for wearing you know a bad religion t-shirt or something and it's like you just you just get used to that and that's just okay that's who i am you know yeah. and i'm just i'm gonna go with it i'm gonna be um you know that's just who i i'm just gonna i'm not gonna allow people to people's ridicule to change how i want to dress or whatever music i want to listen to um right and so i i think i think that helped kind of 
uh, cauterize me, I guess, to, to, um, ridicule around me. Um, well, I've never really taken that to heart. Now there, there's times where there's like, um, obviously we all as humans have a degree of insecurity, but yeah, there's times where I'm like, oh man, it'd be cool to have this or that like they have, but, um, mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like you got to be, you got to have a thick skin, like you said. Well, and there are just Which, certain industries right now that if you are a Christian that is living your faith out, you probably just can't work in them. I mean, unfortunately, but that's the that's mm-hmm. the place we've gotten to. So, um, you know, if you yeah. you are into arts and entertainment, and you want to be an actor, or you want to be a musician, and you want to share that stage in in certain places like unfortunately just where we are as a culture like you're going to either have to be completely silent with your christian views and not say anything at all um or you're going to have to be okay with being ostracized and ridiculed um Mm -hmm. because i mean it's it's just becoming it's becoming that way like you it's just (laughs) and that's that that's really sad but i mean i honestly when it comes to being allegiant to Jesus, what matters more, like you working as a famous actor, or are you being allegiant to the, the Lord, you know? And I think those mm-hmm. are the things we're going to have to ask ourselves. What matters most to us, me being accepted by people and getting what I want in my career or me being allegiant to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to have to figure out what's most important. Yeah. Which leads me to my number three, and that is to be courageous um, you know, our, our society, uh, uh, the leaders of our nation are so governed by, uh, whatever the, the, the constituents are saying that day, whatever seems to be the popular thing, whatever seems to be the thing that will get them more, uh, notoriety and votes, right? There's very little courage in principle. Uh, there's very little backbone in many of the leaders of our nation and, I think people crave that people actually long to see someone with courage. They may not Mm -hmm. at the moment agree with them and say like, Oh yeah, I agree with whatever cause you're standing up for. But people, I think subconsciously gravitate towards courage, gravitate towards people who are principled and then are willing to go to bat over those principles. And just like fear is contagious, courage is contagious. And Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was, I was going to pull up a couple of verses here, but courage or to, to be courageous, to not fear is the most oft repeated commandment in the Bible, just yeah. to not be afraid. And we as humans are so prone to be fearful and, and buckle under any kind of political pressure. You know, it's like, I, I mean, I saw things, you know, just the past two to three years that are like, Wow. I am, I am, uh, I'm a wimp, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I need to know what I believe and I, what I'm willing to stand for and what I'm willing to go to bat over. And it's like, I, I need to be really courageous. And, um, like I said, I think the think that's, that's very contagious, um, in a world that is growing less courageous. I mean, people, people say, or don't say things do or don't do things based on how they think they'll be perceived by others. It's like, that is, yeah. that's unhealthy, you know, it's, it's that's well, it's, fearful. It's, that's the, the currency that we, we, that we exchange as a culture is social currency, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wealth for 
many people in our society is less to do with what's in your bank account and more to do with how many followers you have on Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the crazy part about social currency is you've got to make sure you're not doing or saying anything that's a liability to your social currency. And and so mm-hmm. if it comes between the choice of do I speak truth and live out truth that may cost me social currency or do I go along with whatever, you know, every the majority of people are saying or believing or thinking or acting in order to keep my yeah. social currency. You know, I, I think that that's a, that's a tough decision. We've got to be willing to make the right one when the time comes, you know? Yeah. 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 And every, every notable story in the Bible, every notable character in the Bible starts with them experiencing and, and exemplifying a moment of courage and boldness. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my number three is we've got to figure out how to find the right balance between holiness and relevance. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, holiness means being separate and different from the world. So to be holy as a Christian means we're willing to abstain from certain things that others who don't know God may enjoy. And we're willing to live a different lifestyle that looks like Jesus and honors God. That's kind of a basic definition of holiness, right? But Mm -hmm. some of us as Christians right now have no idea what that looks like. Or some Christians have no idea they're even supposed to do that. Like I'm supposed to be different, supposed to be set apart or what? It's just a novel concept. Like, I don't understand how that's important, right? And so for the sake of being relevant, i put that in quotation marks, Christians will engage in activities or go to environments or consume certain content that they just shouldn't. Um, and I think for a lot of us, you know, the justification is I need to know what's going on. I need to know, you know, how people are living, you know, and there's a lot of weird games we play with ourselves to justify why it's okay for us to do all the things that people in the world are doing that don't know God. Mm-hmm. And I think this, um, thing called relevance for a lot of us is just a code word for compromise. And so we don't really understand this call from the scriptures to be holy and to be set apart and to be distinct and different because we're just like, everybody else that doesn't know the Lord. Um, so I think that's one issue within this topic, but I think the other is some of us have this concept that holiness means Christians are supposed to be isolationist where we build our own Christian bubble and our own lifestyle enclave. Um, Mm. but when we live in this Christian bubble or lifestyle enclave, we don't interact with people who are non-Christian. So we don't ever really share our faith we don't spread the love and truth of Jesus to those who need it the most. Um, and we get really weird. So we just turn into weirdos that don't know how to have a conversation with people who don't watch VeggieTales or eat Chick-fil-A, right? And so our version of holiness that we say, well, we're just being holy. We're just being set apart. We're being, it's just really a code word for disobedience. We're afraid of the world. We're afraid of engaging them. We're afraid of loving them and showing them truth. But we're not going to say that. We're just going to call it that we're holy, but we're really just being disobedient. So I think somewhere in the middle, there's this balance where we live in the world. We know it's like going on culturally. We know 
like how to have an actual conversation with someone who doesn't share a faith, but we're not of the world. So we're okay with abstaining and sitting certain things out and being set apart and different from the world. But at the same time, we know how to live in the world and, um, engage when it's right for us to engage. Does that make sense? I don't know if I explained that well, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the surrounding culture is in a pursuit of happiness and scripture implores us to be in a pursuit of holiness mm-hmm. and we need to kind of, you know, get those. Now happiness is not bad, obviously. And if you find yourself happy, that's, right. I think holiness will get you. Holiness will lead you to true happiness. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so often, you know, like you said, holiness will tend to get hijacked by, by religious people that, um, make it about self-righteousness and themselves and pride. Um, and that's, that's, you know, really unfortunate. Um, Mm. well, I'll go on to my number four. That is, you need, you need to be, we as believers living in a post-Christian society, we will need to be sober minded. Um, Mm. you know, this is, this is where. Uh, I think it's first Peter four verses 12 through 13. My friends don't be alarmed at the ordeals of fire you're having as if these are unexpected. Be happy to the extent that you share in Christ's suffering because when he appears in his glory, you will be incredibly happy. So it's like, uh, you know, sometimes (laughs) this is like the, this is like the, you should not be surprised that pagans do what pagans will do, right? Or you should not right. be surprised <laughs> that you're going to see rainbow flags at every major establishment that you shop at and visit and frequent. Um, mm. Don't don't get bent out of shape by that. Now, what right. you do and whether or not you go to those places and whether or not you give them your business, that's 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 your your business and your decision to make. Um, and I trust you to make those decisions prayerfully and wisely give you the room and the grace to do that. But don't, don't like, you know, you don't have to blow up social media with photos of every, every barbecue joint that you frequented now displaying rainbow flags. You know, it's like, that's, that's the way things are going to go. That's, they're going to continue to go that way. Um, Don't be alarmed at, at how many mass shootings we're seeing Yeah, Be saddened by that. Be deeply saddened by that. But don't be alarmed by it. You know that that's coming. Don't be alarmed by wars and rumors of war. Because mm-hmm. you were told that that would be a thing. Hold your head high because our redemption is drawing near. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like allow yourself to be saddened and grieved by all that. But don't be alarmed by it. That's a really good word. I, I think what happens so often is... Christians get in their lifestyle enclave and they're pursuing comfort and comfortability and, and then something happens. They see something and they get reactionary and they're just like, what, what? I can't believe this happened. I can't believe that people who don't know Jesus act this way. And mm, I think you should not be shocked by the fact that people who don't know Jesus act this way. Because you shouldn't be shocked by darkness acting dark. And you shouldn't be angry that darkness acts dark. You should be asking, why does the light not shine brighter than the dark? And you have Mm. the light. So instead of getting mad at the darkness for being dark, you need to ask, how can I shine my light as a follower of Jesus into the dark? So 
Um, so my number four is learn why you believe what you believe and learn how to defend your faith. So first Peter three fifteen says, always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope you have in you, but do this with gentleness and respect. And the word that Peter uses to describe the defense that we have, the answer we have for the hope we have in us is the word apologia. And it literally means like a, a defense in a court of law, like a logical reasoning for why it is we believe what we believe. So like if the only reason we consider ourselves Christian is because of the family we grew up in or the folks we're surrounded by or the fact that we went to a Christian school. Um, and that's the only reason we've got, man, we're going to be, we're going to be caught off guard in a massive way at some point. So we need to be able to answer questions like, and not just answer them with like your stock answers. Like when you meet, you know, Jehovah's witnesses and Mormons that knock on your door and you're asking them questions, they've been trained. They have a script, right? We need to have these questions settled in our hearts. Like we need to know that we know them. And so the question like, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe the Bible? What makes your religion different from other religions? Why do you believe in God? (laughs) aren't all religions the same? Like in order to answer that, that means we have to commit ourselves to studying the answers to those questions and discussing with other people and sharpening ourselves intellectually to be able to have coherent, reasonable and logical conversations about these things. Um, But when we've done that, we've got to make sure that we're doing it with gentleness and respect, like the Bible says. So, if our apologia, our defense of why we believe what we believe, ever resorts to us being snarky or abrasive or rude or unkind or disrespectful or combative, um, we've lost. So yeah. it's super important yeah, that is, we, we figure out how to do that. This is the same Greek word, apologia, that's used in the, la- the latter chapters of, um, of the book of Acts when Paul was making his defense before all his accusers. You know, he was on trial like four different times. He continually, number one, he exemplifies respect for the leaders and the judges that are, that are corrupt, wicked judges and governors and, mm. you know, people that are, that are, uh, that are actually uh, accusing him, but he remains calm. He remains respectful, but he gives, he gives his apology at his defense. It's a really good template. Um, mm. my number five is to live as a Christian in a post-Christian society is that you can't do it alone. You need a community of people who are sharing and, and encouraging um, and teaching, exhorting um, each other in their faith. You need fellowship and community. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of verses that I could pull to, to, to back this up. Hebrews 10, 26, 25, 26 comes to mind. Don't forsake the assembling one another together. Um, you know, it's just you need that so badly uh, that, you know, if, if you stay in the flock, there is safety. The shepherd can guard you and watch over, not control you, but protect you. If you stray from the flock, the wolves will devour you. It's just simple. Mm. Um, so find yeah. a good Bible-believing community and attach yourself to it, serve in it, grow in it. And don't, don't wait around and try to find the perfect 
thing. Uh, I've seen that people like they float around the thing, the thing, the thing to the church, to church, to church. And they try to find that perfect thing that checks all their boxes. And meanwhile, three years go by and they still haven't found it. And it's like their faith yeah. is going to pot. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. that's a great word. I, I think I looked yesterday, the statistics on, um, Bible believing Christians are self-professed Bible believing Christians. Only 48% of them actually attend church. Hmm. Which is so just like baffling to me. Like how how can you not commit yourself to a, a body of other believers if you, you know what I mean? Like it's just. I think it's no wonder that so many people get disenfranchised and discouraged and despair when they stay out of fellowship for that long. They have other people that are encouraging them and and lifting them up and helping them walk through uh, you know the life of faith. So. Was that your number five? It was, yeah. Wow. Wow, says Owen Wilson. (laughs) Uh, My number five is to live as a Christian in a post-Christian world, we have to pursue a lifestyle shaped by goodness, kindness, mercy, respect, love, and service. And I'm reading a book right now called A Church Called Tove by Scott McKnight. And Gabe, you're our resident Hebrew language scholar. That word tove is, uh, has been a word that I have been obsessing over. And you know the word tove, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, so, like, what is tove? Like, uh, unpack that for everybody. Uh, the best definition is, like, tove is functioning the way it was intended to function. Um, like when God created the earth every, every day he looked back at it and he said that it was good or to use the Hebrew tov. And then when he gets to day six and he creates man, he calls it tov me'od, which is like very good. Or mm-hmm. it's like functioning, functioning ideally. So like when I flip on a light switch and the light comes on, that light is then tov. Um, yeah. some, you know, the, the word good just kind of falls short because the cheeseburger is good. Um, but right. yeah, creation, <laughs> creation is good. So like, what is, what is it? So it just, it's, it carries with it the idea of functionality. Yeah. So the idea is like when we, when we're born again, we're restored to our true purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So when the spirit of God comes in us and regenerates us and makes us into a new creation in Christ, we are actually then empowered to, to be tov, to be very good. Not because there's any goodness in us inherently, but because God's spirit has restored us and, and enabled us and empowered us to kind of return to our true function, right? Of being able to mm-hmm. flourish and be able to do good that we're not able to do good before, but we are able to do good now. And um, Psalm 37, three through nine, I, I love because this is what the psalmist says. Um, trust in the Lord and do good. And that word for good is, is that word tov. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself also in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of a man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. 
For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And so I've just been really meditating on this psalm because, like, sometimes when we see the secular or godless mindsets and value systems that are taking root in our culture, we can get really overwhelmed. And we can sometimes even get angry at them. And, And this psalm says, like, cease from anger, forsake wrath, don't fret. And I feel like so often I see Christians doing the opposite from that. They're Mm. getting angry. They're embracing wrath and they're embracing worry and paranoia and anger. And I think what then happens is Christians will live these reactionary lives out of fear. And that fear gets manifested in anger and wrath. And I can't believe, you know, I saw a rainbow flag at the barbecue joint. And, And I think the call in scripture is for us to, in spite of the wickedness or evil we may see around us to dwell in the land, trust in the Lord and do tov, do good. Hmm. And know at the end of the day, God is going to judge the wicked and reward the faithful in his timing. Like the meek will inherit the earth. That's where Jesus was really quoting the Psalm. Um, So our job is to display the tov of God, the goodness of God by living lives of tov of goodness, of kindness, of mercy, of respect, of love, and of service. Hmm. Yeah, that kind of puts a pretty bow on everything. I mean, when you look at all these 10 pieces of advice that we've, that we've given today, it's like they, they all kind of work in a cycle. Like for mine, for instance, uh, your, your being in fellowship will increase your biblical literacy because there's going to be the Bible being taught there in fellowship. Um, it will help you be courageous because you're around other people that are going through same trials and tribulations you are, um, which produces uh, legitimate behavior and consistency in your testimony. So these all kind of, you know, they're, they're like a cycle of like being interwoven mm-hmm. together with each other. So yeah, yeah man. It's, um, it's good. And I like, I like your, I like your advice. Well, and I think that for all of this, like, Practically, if you're in the word, you're in community, you're living your faith, you're pursuing doing good, right? That means like practically we should be like the best neighbors and family members we can be. If we have Mm -hmm. family members or neighbors that don't share our faith or don't share our values. Yeah, we, we still love them and man, we still are kind to them and we're still like crazy about showing them the goodness of God through our lives. Um. That means we should be the best coworkers and employees, employers, or business owners we can possibly be. Um, mm. That we should be the most honest, the hardest working, the most dependable, the most reliable, the most compassionate people on planet Earth. And so, like, even if people persecute us for what we believe or make fun of us or even cancel us, um, those who have been in our lives can attest to the fact that we truly love them. And they've been ministered to by us in some way. And so even if they don't agree with what it is that we believe, they have seen the goodness of God displayed to them through our lives. And that's a very, 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 very powerful testimony to the power of the gospel that we have been regenerated. Um, and so we're able to, to display the tove of God in a way that, other people are not able to. And so they see that they want that and they desire that. And that's a apologetic for the, the power of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Pretty good. Pretty good. Yes. Yes. Well, there you have it. There you have it, folks. All the ways, exhaustively, one may live yeah. as a Christian in a post-Christian culture. <laughs> That's not true. It's yeah, not exhaustive, just, but... Just whenever, uh, yeah, whenever you get locked up in jail for being a follower of Christ, just um, just turn on this podcast, <laughs> this episode. Yeah. Episode 53. Just pull out your 54. iPhone. Uh, I yeah. think we're actually 50, 58, my friend. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. How can people email questions if they have questions? Yeah, they can send them to beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out via our Mm -hmm. Facebook. Or you can comment on our YouTube video. And you can cancel us if you want. Uh, We don't care because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So don't don't cancel us, though. I, I mean, if you want to, you can. But yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Reach out to us if you have questions, and uh, we will see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review. Or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.